Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson, and today is Monday, June 28th. Well, just ahead for the first time ever, gene editing has been proven safe on live cells in vivo. We'll tell you the story of the company behind that exciting development. Plus, after a long delay and lots of stocks sold, the company admits its drug development really wasn't going so well. And they brought us Grand Theft Auto, Borderlands, NBA 2K. But how does Take-Two do it over and over again? CEO Strauss Zelnick joins us to talk about how this company makes its blockbuster games and the Take-Two secret sauce. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, not least iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Pandora. But when you do so, hit that subscribe button, follow us to make sure you get a chance to listen to every single show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. Joining me right back in the fold, our executive producer, Isaac Webster. Isaac, glad to have you back. Tell us the most important three stories in the world of business today. Corey, let's get to it. Number one, Facebook jumping to a $1 trillion valuation today after a federal judge dismissed antitrust cases against the company. Those cases were levied by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and several states. The judge says the FTC's complaint was too vague, giving the agency a chance to amend its complaint. So the story might not be over. Yeah, but this is uh, definitely big news for Facebook. And as you mentioned, uh, um, it's, yeah. you know, I was, I was in Washington, D.C. last week. And two quick anecdotes. First of all, there were Facebook billboards and Facebook ads on phone booths everywhere about how much Facebook really wants more modern laws now that the internet is so modern and they're just here to help. A second anecdote is I talked to a big shot corporate <laughs> lawyer, had dinner with him, and he he said so many of the people that he knows who deal with uh, enforcement issues in Washington, D.C. are running to the open checkbook that Facebook has presented in Washington, D.C. They're everywhere. They're spending their fortune on lobbying, and it looks like it's having some success. Number two, Jewel Labs agreed to pay $40 million to North Carolina to settle a lawsuit alleging that the e-cigarette maker had targeted underage users. Now, this move resolves the first of a string of legal and regulatory challenges facing Jewel, but this, again, is a story that is not over. The lawsuit is one of hundreds of similar cases brought against Jewel by state officials, school districts, and young people, and those cases are still pending. Yeah, this this vaping situation for teenagers and 
kids is just out of control. And Jewel has definitely taken the heat for that. So I'll, I'll give you an anecdote. When I was uh, flying back to LA yesterday, somebody started vaping on the plane. <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> you cannot do that. I don't know who it was. It was in the back of the plane, but there was a big, big kerfuffle among the, um, the stewardesses and stewards and, um, the flight attendants, I'm trying to come up, remember that word. And, uh, and everyone started looking around like, who was it? Who was it? But somebody, somebody started vaping. They got shut down pretty quickly though. Yeah. We now, shouldn't have started in the first place. All right, Isaac, what else? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm not sure how they forgot that that wasn't available for them. All right. And finally, the third most important business story of the day, Tesla plans to recall more than 285,000 Model 3 and Model Y cars due to an issue with the cruise control. Now, these cars were mostly made in China, and China's State Administration for Market Regulation said on its website that the news that the move is linked to an assisted driving function in the electric cars, which could cause sudden acceleration if activated by drivers accidentally. Now, some of the vehicles in the recall were produced in 2019. The recall will be a uh, free remote online software fix. I thought the quality of these cars was supposed to be perfect. Perfection Guess takes not. work. Perfection takes work. Don't I know it. <laughs> Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on? Let's start with CellSci. CellSci, CVM. Shares dropped 47% today, wow. and they've fallen by 16% over the past 12 months. Well, this What's is going an on with old story. It's an old story with a new twist. And the company has been engaged in a long phase three trial of its therapy that it says will transform failing drugs and make them successful drugs. Essentially, they say they're going to make other cancer drugs work the first time true. Here is the, uh, the cell side chief scientific officer, E.L. Taylor. He's a PhD uh, in a promotional video the company released in 2019. And Pardon the exciting uh, background music, but like I said, it's a it's a promotional video. We're now in phase three. We've included key opinion leaders in the United States to help us design the phase three study that would, in fact, allow us in a statistically significant manner to hopefully repeat exactly what we had seen in phase two, or even better. Wow, or even better. Well, guess what? It wasn't better. It was worse. The company finally, finally released the results of that phase three study today, and it wasn't good. Wait, wh why do you say finally, finally? What is that? Well, because, look, the company's, it's been a 30-year journey for this company, but you heard them talking about the study just a minute ago and that exciting music uh, from 2019. Well, the results of the study, uh, their targeted threshold of events, essentially the end of the study, the results were in May 4 of last year. Now, some companies release results after those final results come in three weeks or three months even after a study's completion. These guys waited more than a year and today announcing huh. that the study effectively failed. They said the people who received the drug, quote, did not achieve its primary endpoint of a 10% in overall survival. 10% improvement, that is, in overall survival. Um, that's just not great. Well, what were they doing in the last year after the study after, after those results were in, what, what have they been doing well, for a year? It's unclear. It, one thing that is clear, they were raising money. So they were meeting a lot of investor events. They raised $10 million last uh -huh. June, $15 million in December. They even sold $32 million worth of stock 
last week. Were there signs, anything odd here? Uh, you know, this is a name that has been heavily shorted, and that is always a sign to look for when people have done the homework. Um, there's been some terrific journalism around this company asking some questions about it. I went back, like I said, I looked on their website. They don't, they don't record, they don't keep the recordings of their conference calls. They don't, mm. you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a, uh, there isn't a lot of extra data out there. Uh, even the presentations they give at financial conferences seem to disappear from those companies' websites. It's all legal, nothing illegal. Don't want to be, want to be very clear about that. But here is a CEO, Gert Kirsten, CEO of of uh, this company, talking about why cell size manufacturing capacity was so well built, even though they weren't willing to talk about it. They were suggesting they were all ready to go. Manufacturing capacity is in place, but it's a secret. We want to keep our manufacturing process secret, like the Coca-Cola formula, and build a company that will last for many, many decades. Formula's secret, like the Coca-Cola company, except, you know, for cancer. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to take a look at a company called App Harvest. App Harvest, A-P-P-H, shares fell 3% today, but they've risen 61% over the past 12 months. Tell me about App Harvest. Yeah, so the company went public with a SPAC last year. It was a big venture deal. Um, a lot of sort of hot venture money went into this thing. Um, it, today was added to the Russell 2000 index. These are all stock market things, right? Finance things. It's an interesting story. It's a great story. Um, these guys it's, have told this thing about indoor farming and how they're going to raise tomatoes indoors, how depending on which articles you read, says they've built the largest greenhouse in the country or the largest greenhouse in the world. Regardless, the market is smitten. Here is, uh, as I said, compelling. Here's the CEO, John Webb, in their last earnings conference Most call. Most folks don't realize how fragile our current system is. When food stopped crossing borders and grocery stores had food shortages, COVID started to expose some of the cracks in the system. California just expanded its drought emergency to 41 of 58 counties in the state. California is plagued by wildfires, and the southwest of the U.S. is drought-stricken, where the U.S. traditionally has grown much of its fruit and vegetables. In February, we had major ice storms that dipped as far as Texas, stopping imported fruits and vegetables from coming across the border, which is where the U.S. has outsourced most of our vine crop production. Those fruits and vegetables get shipped thousands of miles to make it to our plates with questionable practices around labor and pesticide use. The reality is climate change is going to continue to affect the growing conditions for outdoor agriculture, from severe temperature extremes to the amount of water available for crops. In central Appalachia, we're fortunate because climate change is making our region wetter. In fact, the past decade has seen the most rainfall in Kentucky history, with three of those years being the wettest on record. So their plan is to go take rainwater, gather it into these giant vertical farms and these uh, giant greenhouse and grow tomatoes in Kentucky, which they say is super close to um, lots of places in the eastern seaboard, 70% of the U.S. population, they say, and therefore get those, um, those vine-grown uh, plants, tomatoes, to people all up and down the eastern seaboard grown indoors in a giant greenhouse and how effective that is. I mean, this this seems very smart to me. It definitely feels like the way forward. 
So there's two ways to look at this. I'm going to use two metaphors here. We'll start with a circle. I love a we'll good say, metaphor, Corey. But then we'll talk about the funnel. Okay. So with the circular logic, you put these solar arrays and wind farms and they convert, uh, uh, you know, sunlight energy into electrical current and you've got the rainwater and you'll convert some of that current uh, into electrical energy and the artificial sunlight to shine on the plants so they can convert that into food. And then the rainwater drips down and some of that water ends up in the plants and at each of those, you know, this circular, then the plants grow and then it's a wonderful thing for the environment because it's all organic. Okay, that's kind of this circular logic. But if you look at the same thing like a funnel and realize that every turn you're getting less of that energy and less of that natural resource to the plant. So you take the natural sunlight and you put it in a solar power or you take the natural sunlight and you put it in a greenhouse. And then you take the water and you filter that water and you just give some of that water to the plant. And what you end up with is a fraction of the energy actually ending up in the plant when if you just grew the thing outdoors, you might have a better result. So the isn't, there point, is, isn't there a point that that's not going to be a viable option in many places where well, it is we true. Have, if climate change continues at the pace that it is, growing uh, uh, tomatoes, for example, in Mexico and California won't make as much sense. And maybe it starts to get interesting in Kentucky or Oregon. Right. But growing them in the ground in the right climate is going to be a lot cheaper than building an environmentally constructed eco greenhouse. Um, and that's ultimately the issue. So I think when we watch, look at these companies, we're going to have to look at what it costs to get this food on the table. And are these plants actually any cheaper or any better in quality? Fun fact also about this company, about uh, about uh, App Harvest, is that they have a convicted felon on the board, a felon who once committed securities fraud. Really? Who? Yeah. Martha who? Stewart. Well, listen, my money's on Martha Stewart. Fun fact, you, my you, husband my husband used to work for Martha Stewart. <laughs> uh, I know Martha Stewart. love me with some Martha Stewart. She's, I wouldn't want a convicted felon of securities fraud on my board. Just saying. Corey, what's your next drill down? All right, Intellia Therapeutics. NTLA shares jumped 50% today, and they've risen by 553% in a year. What's new good. with Intellia? That seems like a good thing. 553 jump percent jump in your share price. Yeah, I think seems, that'd be good. Seems pretty good. Seems pretty good. I mean, if I had a 553% jump in my height... I'd be about 35 feet tall. That's right. That's not, that wouldn't be good. But for a stock price, it's good. Some, some people like that. Is, there's someone for everybody. The reason is it's a good reason, right? So mm -hmm. um, fantastic things going on with this company. They, uh, they are involved in gene editing. And indeed, the results that they got boosted the entire kind of gene editing sector, if you believe that's a thing. Um, they tested a single dose of Intellia's gene editing treatment for patients with a disorder caused by a buildup of abnormal proteins um, in the liver. And uh, after 28 days, three patients who received this higher dose of this drug showed an 87% reduction in that protein. And there were no side effects. This is really important because Intellia uh, is the first to test editing cells inside the body. So the other gene editing, we've heard about CRISPR, we've heard a lot about CRISPR and how CRISPR takes cells out, edits the genes in the submicroscopic level, put cells back in and hope that they replicate and can cure a disease. That's been the hope. 
Well, the real dream is to do it inside the body. And that's what Intelia announced today with zero side effects. None of this take it out, fix it, reinfuse in the patient, see if it works. This approach could be a lot more versatile. And it really, I mean, Isaac, this could be one of the most important days in the history of, of, of science in some regards, right? This notion that you can edit a gene inside someone's body to cure them of a, of a life-threatening disease, just amazing. Here is the CEO, John Leonard. We believe this opens the door to a new era in medicine. We recognize these are interim phase one results, but we believe CRISPR-Cas9 and genome editing more broadly is an immensely powerful tool with vast potential impact. And these results begin to demonstrate that. Moreover, our technical achievement of systemic administration marks the beginning of bringing CRISPR as a beneficial therapeutic to broad patient populations. This work is central to our mission to advance curative genome editing treatments for patients with severe diseases and is why we believe these data represent a momentous milestone for medicine. I think it's just such a huge deal. Um, I mean, it's so exciting. We'll it's companies. also a little scary, right? I mean, you know, I mean, it's good. This is being the studies about helping, curing, but you can use CRISPR technology for lots of different things. Um, I think the things, the good things that can do got a lot closer to happening with these results today. It's amazing. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at one of the most successful video game companies ever, the company behind Grand Theft Auto, the company behind NBA 2K, the CEO behind it all, Strauss Zelnick, will talk to us about the secret sauce of making blockbuster games. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between. Through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to The Drill Down. We're joined by Strauss Zelnick, uh, the CEO of Take-Two Interactive, uh, a very important video game maker uh, that has really risen to the top of the ranks and Strauss uh, uh, at the helm. Strauss, thanks for being with us on The Drill Down. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, so uh, I thought we'd kind of take a 30,000-foot view of the video game business, which I, I actually covered a, a million years ago back when Take-Two was principally a wrestling franchise um, uh, long before your time there. And I, I wonder, how does, if one were, how do you guys look at starting a new title? Where is it kind of from, from stem to stern when you want to launch a new business uh, in, your, in your machine of Take-Two? Well, it's a great question. I think uh, there are two ways that we would typically um, arrive at a, at a place like that. The first is we, we would have existing teams within our existing structure who come up with an idea for a property. And then um, that studio supports the idea. And then we enter into discussions at the corporate level. And if we think there's a great idea and a great team and the uh, budget makes sense. We'll we'll green light that property and then develop it. So not unlike yep. a, a movie studio or something when you're looking at kind of a new thematic idea. Or do, do you compare that to market opportunity? You look at presumably the talent behind it, see if they've got a the ability to make a hit and so on. 
It's quite different than the motion picture business because typically development properties come from outside in the motion picture business. And the example I just gave you um, is, is, an, is one where the new intellectual property is going to be internally created by an existing team. And since that existing team already makes interactive entertainment for our company, we've already vetted the team and we believe in the team by definition. So the real question is, um, you know, the questions I ask include how passionate is the team about this? Um, and certainly we'd want to have a sense of where it would fit in the market and the competitive landscape to the extent that you can even determine that because, you know, it's all about the execution uh, after you've established the idea and the team. Um, the second way that will come about new intellectual property is it is brought to us externally, but not typically as an idea. Typically, it would be um, either a pre-existing or a new team, um, and they would actually have a, a path to production that they would they would bring us, and we would be compelled by the combination of the talent and the idea. And if it's attached to intellectual property, for example, a license, that could that would also be something that we'd be focused on. So. In the, the latter case, an example of that would be our relationship with Gearbox, um, which has yeah. brought us Borderlands and will be bringing us Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Um, that's an example of an, you know, an outside party who will uh, you know, bring us an opportunity and we have a conversation about that opportunity and that, that development work will be done outside. The marketing work will be done partially outside and partially inside. Um, we were, were working on intellectual properties inside our studios as well that are entirely homegrown. So sort of the, the first path I outlined. When, when you look at these new games, and, I, and obviously you've got these fantastic franchises in NBA 2K, Grand Theft Auto, Borderlands, just some of the, the greatest, you know, Grand Theft Auto, arguably the greatest uh, game franchise ever. Um, but when you look at it, I, I think it's useful to look at it kind of on a unit economic basis. When you, or well, not a unit, when uh, in terms of a title economic basis, how do you decide market size with a new title? How do you start to try to figure out how much? Because obviously the production budgets depend on how much you're ultimately going to get back, and you want to have some notion of that before you commit, you know, x tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to production. Well, it's a great question. It's sort of a, a, th a threshold question, along with, you know. How, how fantastic will this intellectual property be? And, you know, in the doing as opposed to um, in the telling. Yeah. And um, you will look at the, you know, just how robust a property it's going to be, uh, which would include, you know, how many hours of entertainment are you offering? Not that we get paid by the hour, we don't. Um, but it, you, would, you would look at how robust is this and what kind of um, video game is it? Where does it fit in the marketplace? Um, and, uh, and then just the quality of what you're going to do. And you have a sense of, there's obviously a difference between a casual mobile title and a triple a console title to, to go to both, uh, to the right. end of both extremes. And even in the middle, you have a sense of, well, am I making sort of a mid core, uh, free to play title, or am I making a true triple a, you know, immersive core experience, which tends to be, um, expensive, time-consuming to make, and um, done right, something that consumers will love to engage with for many hours, often over many years. It seems extraordinarily risky, and yet you guys have had a kind of consistent ability to deliver on quality titles. And I, I, 
I haven't heard the secret sauce yet. I, I suppose there is something in. I mean, what do you do? I mean, do you intervene? In it? I sort of look at it like like um, the success Bob Iger and, and the and the and the Marvel team has had, where they just haven't put out a lot of dogs. And I wonder at what point the corporate culture intervenes with the creative process to make sure that the product quality is high. And at the same time, the corporate culture backs off and lets the creators be creative. Well, that's the, that's the trick to it. That is the secret sauce. So first of all, you know, we don't believe in taking victory laps. And I would say the minute you take a victory lap, you know, (laughs) the the great track record you just described usually goes away. Uh, So, you know, we, we are always looking over our shoulders. We take nothing for granted. We don't claim success before it occurs. Um, that said, yes, we've enjoyed an exceedingly high hit ratio among the highest, if not the highest in the business for quite some time. Where does it come from? I think it comes from only working with the very best people in the business, always seeking excellence and um, insisting on excellence, and then making sure that the people who we've been lucky enough to recruit actually pursue what they're passionate about. Words that are very easy to say, but much harder to implement in practice. So we've turned down projects, which I think competitors of ours would have said yes to, where they made sense, you know, in certain instances, they they might have been sequels of known properties, but the teams weren't passionate about doing the work. And so our view is in, a, in, in the creative industry, if people aren't passionate, truly passionate about what they're creating, you're not going to get the highest quality uh, outcome. You just won't. Um, now, is the opposite always true, which is to say, if people act with passion, they always will get the highest quality outcome? No, not necessarily. And we have examples of things that, that fell short of our expectations. But I think it's your your best hope for having a disproportionately high hit ratio, which again, so far, we've enjoyed. What are the typical development costs for, let's, again, let's go sort of a AAA console game? And how to and 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 then what are the I was also curious what the sort of first two year marketing costs are typically for that kind of game. Yeah, we don't we don't actually talk about that publicly. It's okay. pretty easy to find, um, and uh, analysts cover it, but we we don't tend to talk about it. But in terms of development costs, are we are we right when we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars? You could be. <laughs> Oh, I love the good non-answer. Um, mm. Well, I like to be. I try to be, Strauss. So, you know, we'll, mm. we'll try to keep that up. Now, let's talk a little bit about the, the sort of the franchises then. The franchises are so hard because, you know, once a, you know, you don't want to end up with Rocky Two, Rocky Three, maybe, but Rocky Two definitely not. Um, is is the quality trick the same? Do you have to refresh teams to make those games um, as compelling over time? Not necessarily. Um Often the best sequels are created by the same teams that made the original property. That's also true in the motion picture business. In fact, one of the reasons I think the motion pictures business's reputation for sequels is spotty is that it's very difficult to recruit the same team to a second project. And remember, the movie business um, operates as sort of a, an aggregator of um of independent entities at any given time. Whereas in the video game business, our creative folks are on the team. They're on the payroll. They're part of the company on an ongoing basis. It's a huge difference. Um, In certain instances, talent will have decided they want to move on or they're not excited about working on a property. And again, we don't want anyone to work on something they're not excited about. So we will add to a team and in somewhat 
uh, rare circumstances, we can uh, look to create a new version of a beloved franchise with an altogether new team. So it's it's always possible, but our our preference is to work with the same talented people over and over and over again over a long period of time. And that's typically what we do. We have very low attrition at take two. So let's talk a little bit about sort of where we are in, in uh, not the, now that you've given us the, the 30,000 foot view or now that we're people are about to fly in space, we have a 100,000 foot view. If we drill down into 2021 and we look at kind of the really interesting dynamics, uh, we've got the sort of the COVID experience of gaming, which was different than pre-COVID, one might argue. There's the there's console issues and, you know, that's kind of the ever, the evergreen story when it comes to the video game business. And then there's the interesting issue of chip shortages right now. So let, let's specifically start with COVID. And we saw a big uptick uh, for you guys and some of your competitors as well, as well. What do you see, what trends do you see continuing from COVID and what do you see kind of dropping off? Well, things are sort of um, penciling out pretty much the way we expected. We said during the pandemic that we expected post-pandemic demand to be higher than pre-pandemic, but lower than that demand we experienced during the pandemic. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think there has been a systemic shift in favor of interactive entertainment, and therefore overall demand is higher than it was before. But of course, with people no longer sheltering at home to the same degree, or or in many instances uh, at all, demand is somewhat reduced from where it was during the pandemic. And you're seeing that in our guidance too, our financial guidance for this fiscal year is a bit lower than the results we enjoyed last fiscal year. Of course, the release schedule also has, has changed. So it's not really apples to apples. Um, but I think the most exciting thing is that the market continues to grow rapidly. Interactive entertainment remains the most rapidly growing part of the entertainment industry uh, writ large. And I expect that will continue for many years to come because our cohort is still pretty young on average. And every year that goes by, the cohort enlarges. Do you, um, did you see specifically uh, changes in behavior within the the interactive entertainment? Were there people trying out more new games? Were there more in-app purchases as a percentage of sort of uh, revenues um, uh, that you saw during this year? And, and are any of those trends continuing? We haven't seen a wholesale change in consumption patterns. We, we simply were able to attract previously lapsed players and attract new players. Um, in greater quantities than before. And were you seeing, uh, in terms of uh, the ability of workers to do their work from a completely new environment, any change in sort of uh, what they were doing, the productivity that they were enjoying, that, you know, the, one doesn't consider how hard your business is in terms of physical activity, travel, and so on. But I wonder how it's changed for how you do your work. Uh Obviously, during the pandemic, work was changed entirely. Our entire organization worked remotely for over 12 months and remained very productive and very effective, and we're incredibly grateful for that. Um, that said, um, there are certain things that we really couldn't do as well during the pandemic. For example, motion capture. Ultimately, we were able to find ways to, to do that well, but it was more expensive and less efficient. Um, going forward, we're going to be flexible because I think all uh, smart companies need to be flexible and certain parts of our workforce will want to continue to work remotely. And we're going to try to accommodate that to the best of our ability. 
at the end of the day, I think it is beneficial to be in a physical physical location with your colleagues. I think that there are interactions that occur that are serendipitous and unexpected, and those only really occur <laughs> when when you are together. They're, it's much more difficult to have a unexpected serendipitous encounter on Zoom, uh, which typically is well planned in advance. So the good news is we held up well. We were productive. We were effective. We made hits. We had an amazing year last fiscal year. Yeah. The other is I think all of us uh, are excited about returning to work in person. And what's your timing on that? Within the next couple of months on the outside. Again, unless, unless science uh, recommends otherwise. Yeah, it could be kind of nice if people got vaccines. Uh, we are refusing to do so. We do encourage people to get vaccinated. Are you going to require it? Is no, we don't. We don't really feel that we can require it. It's, it's, it's got to be an interesting challenge for you guys because we do see some businesses doing it and others not. And it's a, like I said, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, well, I also wonder about sort of the effect in particular, you've got a new deal with the NFL, you've got NBA 2K, the change in what's going on in sports. You know, you, you see even in, in hockey, right, where you've got the Stanley Cup finals and one of the coaches can't even be there because of COVID. And if those effects on real sports and in-person sports have had any effect on what you're doing in terms of selling games. Uh, so far, no. Yeah. So far, no. The, the appetite for interactive entertainment based on live sports has only increased. It has not diminished. Yeah. I mean, I thought last year's NBA playoffs were, were just thrilling in the bubble. Um, this year's shocker, just as good, probably good for NBA 2K as well. Uh, anything that's good for basketball is good for NBA 2K. Let me ask you finally, um, when you look at your strategic imperatives for the remainder of this year, what kind of, what are the most important things that you're trying to get done to, to move the company along? We have a lot of titles in development. We're bringing 21 new releases to market this fiscal year and 40 in the subsequent two fiscal years. Our biggest priority remains make hits. That's the whole story. Now, of course, we want to have a great culture. We aim to be the most creative the most innovative and the most efficient company in the entertainment industry. We value our transparency, common decency, kindness, um, intelligence, and search for excellence. That said, it's all about making hits. We have to make the best titles in the entertainment business. We have to market them better than anyone else. If we do that, people will show up. Well, Lord knows we've seen it with Borderlands and GTA and NBA 2K. I wish you a continued success. Strauss Zelnick, from Take Two Interactive. We appreciate your time. Thanks. All right. Up next, the drill down. Bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. The drill down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you're enjoying the drill down and learning some nice little tidbits like Strauss Zelnick telling us, importance of being nice kind to each other imagine that look these are the kind of tidbits we're trying to bring you by listening to drill down tell your friends put a review up on your favorite podcast platform and let the rest of the world know what you like about the drill down and let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on talk to us on twitter and instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly at our website bizpod.net We're back with the drill down the drill down bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. The size of the teams developing games at Take-Two Interactive Isaac is just massive. The number, you ready for that number? 
So this is the number of people, individuals working on one game. No, right? the number of individuals across the whole company working on all of their games. They'll never tell oh, us oh, got it. exactly got how it. many are in each game. And got it. you know, the bigger the game, the more the people, presumably. But all in, they have 4,300 developers working on game development in 23 studios all around the world. And wow. probably 4,300 different uh, bedrooms and closets right now, wherever people are working from home. But it's uh, it's it's just a massive effort. And they've taken what really, really was a bit player in video games 25 years ago to being arguably one of the top three dominant companies up there with Activision and E3. That's a yeah. Activision. Yes. And, and EA, excuse me. Yeah, Take-Two is one of the big dogs of, of gaming. Uh, Strauss Zellner is the biggest part of that, probably. All right, well, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network. Thank you.